Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Smart Cities Chronicles, your podcast for everything smart cities, action, investment, and outcomes. My name is Adam Beck. I'm host of the Chronicles and my day job, Executive Director at the Smart Cities Council for Australia and New Zealand. Welcome to, what are we up to? Episode 87 of the Chronicles. Joining me today, I have Rebecca DeChico, who is Principal Digital Operations at our member company, Oricon. Rebecca, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Adam. First and foremost, some fundamentals. Who are you and what do you do? Yeah, sure. So I am, well, was the founding director of Digital Node, which was a digital consultancy very much focused on the uptake and implementation of BIM and digital engineering across the construction sector. And our work prominently focused on the UK. I spent close to 10 years over in London working and living there, very much was uh, focused on BIM and digital processes, which expanded into the frameworks developed by the Centre for Digital Built Britain around smart cities and the information management framework. And effectively, our clients uh, expanded across the UK, but then bled into the US, China, and we expanded into the ANZ market uh, around 2016, where we were supporting rather clients and authorities in the strategic implementation of BIM and digital on the project specific requirements, and then also on um, in the context of education and training. So, you know, what organizations and authorities require in terms of skills and skills development in these spaces. And as you mentioned, I'm now the principal of digital operations for the Oricon group and digital node were acquired in March of this year. And effectively, my role is to advise and inform strategically on Oricon's digital enablement, both internally and externally in terms of a future service offering, which is really exciting. One more thing I'd like to mention is that I'm also the founder and global chair of the not-for-profit initiative Women in BIM, which is, a again, a global group founded in 2012 as a response to the digital uptake in the UK and now with global representation across 40 countries and members all over the world to support diversity and inclusion in uh, the construction industry. Well, with that introduction, (laughs) I can only uh, get excited about some of the content we're going to talk about. Just in response to your recent change in career, Mm -hmm. Rebecca, how's it all going? Are you enjoying being part of the Oricon group? I mean, they're a fantastic organization. They have a global footprint mucking around in all fantastic things around the built and natural environment. You enjoying it? Yes. As a response to COVID, it's really um, provided limitations in regard to the travel, although we're still working with clients all over the world. I think one of the, I guess, the strongest um, pull for joining Oricom was really being exposed to more local initiatives across APAC, so Asia Pacific. And Oricom has quite a strong footprint and very strong relationships with you know both the, the public and private sector in that space. So it's been really exciting for me to be exposed to clients that I wouldn't necessarily have been in this sector. And now really my focus strategically, both personally and professionally, really is to, to grow my knowledge and experience in, in this region. So Oricon provides that. And as you mentioned, you know, they have a strong, very strong strategic focus on digital enablement, something that I'm very much Um, driving, I guess, and trying to push across the business, but also working with some like-minded professionals in that space has been really quite rewarding. Yeah. 
Uh, Oricon was indeed our first member ever for the Smart Cities mm-hmm. Council in the region here. So our fifth anniversary this year. So we've been on a bit of a journey. Let's start and open with sort of some reflections, Rebecca, from you around mm-hmm. Smart Cities, what it is, what it isn't. There are, you know, a lot of things going on. And there's also been, of course, a plethora of associated issues that have continued to sort of grow and flourish. And we'll get into those like digital engineering mm-hmm. and other things. But mm-hmm. let's start with, uh, you know, a bit of an opening kind of reflection on smart cities, what it is and where it's at? Yeah, so obviously because I spent so much time overseas and there was very much uh, a strong strategic position for digital uh, enablement within the government over there, we were, and effectively in Britain, standards are very much uh, a strong driver for the implementation of any process and um, any kind of um, application. So we found that as a response to all of the exciting stuff that was happening in BIM and digital engineering, smart cities was also being pushed heavily across across the sector in the UK. And for me, that was very a very important uh, development because it wasn't just to the UK government about obviously digitising individual buildings or built assets, but rather looking collectively at how the built environment can be smarter in the way that they use technologies and and the application of a consistent process to support those technologies. So for me, you know, a smart city very much being driven out of the UK was very much focused on a consolidation of a consistent definition. And that definition came from the standards, which I felt and I still feel was a, a good way to kind of promote industry and understanding really what a smart city is. But I guess in simple terms, for me, you know, it was about ensuring that we were enabling our clients in effectively engaging in processes that support, you know, greater collaboration to connect different city systems and, and um, you know, how data and, and technology can effectively support that to, to support the way that we live, you know, the way that people live and work and, and even visit cities. So very much on a strategic level for me, you know, a smart city very much is, is one that encapsulates all of those things. I seem to pretty much have a standards conversation eventually with everyone that I kind of engage with in the UK. It seems like they are either sitting on a BSI committee or they're involved in the Centre for Digital Built Britain. And being a bit of a standards fan myself, I've, of course, always admired the work of BSI and going back to 2014, PAS 180, PAS 181, very clearly early laying down those clear definitions of what a smart city is, I can only think has been a really good foundation. I think I think my next question to you is around education and the role of standards. And, and mm-hmm. you know, you've had that UK experience of standards being a driver for common definition and building the scope of whatever the theme or topic is. Smart Cities has been an early standards, well, when I say early, sort of in the context of the work that we do, Smart Cities has been an early set of standards or, or, or library of standards that continue mm-hmm. to be built out by BSI. But of course, along comes digital engineering and BIM and digital twin. It's been a sort of a consistent journey. Do you feel standards have played an important role in education and, and building common understanding and knowledge? And how would you 
maybe compare that to your experience sort of in Australia now? Well, I think, you know, either luck or fate, I don't know what you want to call it, but working in the UK in the time that I did, so effectively from 2006 to 2016, really was the time when all of these standards kind of um, started to uh, be published, both the the PAS, which are the draft standards, and then the British standards. And then all of these standards that were published around BIM and digital over there very much were adopted very quickly because, again, you know, the government was saying we need this and this is policy, et cetera, et cetera. But interestingly, when I came back to Australia and, you know, again, I spent a lot of time back and forth, you know, pre-COVID between the UK and Australia, I found that culturally there was a we were less likely to adopt standards in this region. And I think that's just purely historical in our sector and, you know, for whatever reason. But certainly what I found was that many of the government authorities across Australia and New Zealand were adopting the British standards or the the UK frameworks for the development of these BIM and digital policies. And what I'm seeing now is that the same, I guess, pathway or, or pattern is occurring around the smart city standards where British Standards Institute obviously have developed a a series of standards around a topic They've then internationalised those standards and they are then now promoting a certification to those standards. And in BIM, obviously, that's around 19650. And now we're seeing that more heavily around smart cities. And although the smart city standards aren't adopted as heavily as we'd like in this region, we're still seeing a lot of interest now in what they mean and how they can effectively influence city authorities and and people that work in this in the construction sector but but i guess the the takeaway is that we're still on our journey i think here with in regard to this application of standards certainly in asia there is a strong push for smart city standards and alignment to smart city standards but i think in australia we're still on our journey we're still trying to i guess understand the relevance and how they can be applied a journey is certainly a word to describe it, but also it worries me that time is not on our side when we think of global commitments like the Paris Climate Agreement, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. 2030 is is quite close, just over 3,000 days or so away. Standards are a potential enabler for accelerating that journey in our view at the Smart Cities Council. Can you can you share with us in Australia your views around the Australian marketplace? Mm-hmm. What you think the sort of formula is, standards wise, policy mm-hmm. wise, and from industry's perspective, what industry needs to do as as practitioners, you know, providing advice to government. What's sort of that, you know, jigsaw puzzle that needs to come together? What's the formula to really help us fire on all cylinders? Yeah, I think there's a a lot of exciting development in the kind of smart places or smart cities initiatives across different government groups within this country and in New Zealand. And I think there's, I guess, a a level of uptake or understanding of, of the relevance. But I guess when we pull back to the Um, conversation or the question you you mentioned earlier around education I think it's still that awareness piece we really need to focus on because government authorities although some are starting to understand the the importance of alignment to you know to being smarter and to being I guess more intelligent with the way that they procure build operate and I guess manage their, their, their cities 
it's there's still the uh, I think a, a place for education and, and training and awareness. And I think this is where companies like Oricon and advisory companies are very important because when obviously we speak to our clients, it's very much about kind of positioning the relevance and the importance and giving that to those clients in in practical um, practical language or, or, or very simple language, plain language, because, you know, one of the things I've spotted across the different regions is, you know, the fact that there is still a lot of language being kind of pushed out there when it comes to smart cities and policies and frameworks. But, you know, a lot of clients just really aren't, aren't understanding, I mm. guess, where where they need to be positioned and what they need to be doing. And when we talk about, I guess, certification or the smart city framework around ISO 37106 and that, that kind of, those kind of initiatives, we, we effectively like to kind of dumb it down and bring it down to, you know, practical level for them. So as much as we're seeing, much like BIM and digital engineering policies, smart city and smart place policies in Australia, I think we're still, we still have a, a long way to go in terms of education and, and, understanding in that space in this country do you think at times Rebecca I've been reflecting on this recently why isn't the uptake more than what I want it to be and I I, I just often find that people don't know that these standards exist it's as simple as that sometimes is there there a hesitation maybe from the marketplace here that some of these standards are not relevant what what, I'm trying to put my finger on it Mm. I believe that because of the uptake of um, the BIM and digital engineering policies in Australia and the kind of still a level of confusion around those policies and alignment to standards with those policies, specifically around um, 19650, I think the same rules apply with the smart city standards. It's, It's the relevance, you know, why does this apply to us? And I think, again, specifically because it's come from that UK methodology and the PAS being translated to ISO standards but when it comes to the the, I guess the suite of smart city standards I I just think it's awareness I don't think that there is a awareness of the fact that they exist to start with purely on the fact that there hasn't been a strong enough push around the framework and the strategy for smart cities federally or as a kind of big you know a larger push within this this country and I think in my view you know that's where it needs to come from there needs to be a stronger overarching policy around how the smart city standards effectively enable cities to align to the United Nations sustainability goals and why why that's important. You know, what is the impact of not applying some of these concepts and principles uh, around them? Because even when we talk to clients and, and, you know, people I talk to in industry, there is an understanding of what a smart city is. But you're right, when it comes to smart city standards, there is a lack of uh, awareness that they're out there and that they're published and what they actually mean and how they can help them to consolidate the approach. I have been an avid looker honorer when it comes to BIM for about the last, I want to say, 20 years. Rebecca, I need to go there and have a conversation with you about this. So I understand that the BIM journey in nations has been very different across the globe. We do know, and we've referred now multiple times in this conversation, the role of the Centre for Digital Built Britain and those standards and strong BIM culture in infrastructure. The UK, of course, came out of 
the last GFC with some pretty clear goals around raising productivity within the construction sector. It kind of had some meta targets it knew it needed to meet and it's kind of cascaded down and they've embedded the role of standards. Where, where, where do you feel that we're at in Australia around BIM and digital engineering? And is there anything on the horizon that you're sensing as being exciting or transformational or just different to what I'm sensing is sort of business as usual today, or maybe I've, mm. I'm reading the tea leaves wrongly there, but can we talk about BIM in Australia? Look, I think, you know, if I, if I bring it back to my experience and coming back to Australia um, in 2016 and, oh my God, I can't believe it's been five years, but um, <laughs> time flies. I reflect on, uh, I guess, my journey and, and you know, the, the fact that I've been able to strategically position myself here probably again at the right time because what I've seen over the last five years is that there was a level of confusion again and misunderstanding and lack of awareness around the clearly defined definitions for, for BIM. Um, and this is why the uptake of the terminology and the language digital engineering populated our sector because uh, I guess industry, government alike were very much under the impression that BIM was about buildings. And I think until the release of 19650 and the consolidation of, uh, I guess, that, that language and the, and the terms and definitions and all of that sort of stuff, BIM was still being seen as, um, you know, building specific. Mm, but mm. in the UK, you know, when, when, the, when the policy came out, the construction strategy came out, it was all about BIM, you know, we were really excited because it was about, you know, the built environment, right? It wasn't just about BIM and um, about buildings rather. And, um, and there was an understanding that it was a, fo a focused process um, to effectively, um, you know, digitise the built environment. So in Australia, when I came back, I found that there were, a number of different initiatives and groups and um, much like, you know, I guess the, the similar journey again in the UK, but I think the difference is that based on, and, you know, you got to bring it back to kind of government structure and the way that the, the way that our country's structured in terms of, you know, state government policy and state government initiatives. I think in the UK, we were fortunate enough, obviously to have one government, you know, seven government departments and one clear vision. But I think what we're seeing here and what we've seen here over the last five years is, I guess, a, a very similar strategic view from government on digital engineering and BIM, but effectively almost different policies that are being put in place to support those initiatives. So with those different policies around different state initiatives comes with it confusion. So industry, you know, becomes confused by the fact that there is a, you know, digital engineering framework in New South Wales, but then you know, there's some something different in, in Victoria around the Vi Victorian digital asset um, policy and the strategy around that framework. But what I will say is that I guess with the release of 19650 and the uptake of 19650, we are now seeing a little bit more of a kind of consistently defined process and consistent methodology around those standards. And because I'm a bit of a stickler for the standards and I'm so fluent in, you know, in the, in the content of them, I'm still seeing there are some um, uh, slight variations into the way that the standards are applied to the different policies that exist across our country. But mm. certainly we're getting closer. And I think, you know, that there is a, 
again, a strong push, you know, and I've seen, again, one of the main reasons why we also joined Oricon was, you know, that their strategic view on how 1650 was, um, I guess, policied within their organisation to support the different government initiatives in Australia. And certification to 19650 is now on the rise in this region, which, which I guess indicates that there is, I guess there is more of an uptake, there is more of a, um, an understanding of, of the importance and relevance of BIM and digital engineering in this in this region, but we've still got you know we we're still on our journey. I keep saying journey, but you know we're still on our journey. But there's certainly a lot more more happening than it was you know a few years ago. So we're still on a BIM journey, but even before that journey is complete, not that it ever gets complete, we have another journey emerging, which is called digital twin, mm-hmm. and Oricon recently kindly uh, was sponsor of our digital twin summit in New Zealand, where we had a mm-hmm. great conversation nationally over there. Talk to me now, Rebecca, about the intersections between this language and terminology and any views that you have around making sure that DE, BIM, digital twin, we just focus and ensure that we work together to create a thriving marketplace. How, how do we how do we make that happen? What are your views? So funnily enough, I was just having this conversation earlier that I think the language and the, um, the terminologies that relate to these kind of innovative processes like, you know, smart cities and digital twin and um, BIM and et cetera, et cetera, they're all, um, they're all kind of being uh, considered uh, in essence, in isolation, and I think that's well. That's where I, um, I think you know, I have a, I have a struggle with trying to consolidate that. Particularly, not for me, because for me personally, I understand that the impact of a digital enablement policy within an organisation would encapsulate frameworks around what that organisation manages and delivers. So that could be buildings, it could be infrastructure, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So for me. Looking at a, a kind of strategic policy, which encapsulates, I guess, what these terms mean to that particular business mm-hmm. is the starting point. And mm-hmm. the term digital twin, you know, and again, we're seeing that happening in the UK now where, you know, people are, industry are, you know, saying, you know, we can't just be talking about BIM, you know, it's got to be about smart cities and digital twin and the information management framework and all of these, you know, exciting things. But the only people that really understand that are people like you and I. So yes. this is why yes. this is this is why we need to kind of dumb it down a bit and say, okay, the what is a digital twin? What is BIM? What is digital engineering? How do how do all of these link to each other? And then how are they relevant to a particular organization, to a particular government, et cetera, et cetera? And look, I've got to say the UK BIM Alliance, I've just shared this across the, the business again. They've put together a bit of a position statement on BIM and digital twins and you know, what is BIM to the, to the, you know, the framework over there and how that relates to the concept of a digital twin. And, you know, the fact that I guess one of the key differences or differentiators is that BIM is, is effectively supported by a framework outlined within 19650 and the digital twin links to that information by allowing, I guess, real time or the right, they, they say right time data. So mm-hmm. the addition yeah. of right time data. Yeah which is accessible for, you know, whatever, whatever it's needed for. And this is, again, why I think putting out very clearly defined plain language documentation to industry is crucial. And doing that with clients, 
and you know across our sector in Australia and New Zealand is very important because there's still a lot of confusion around what all of this means. Yeah, I'm going to pull us back around to outcomes now, and and probably our last question, mm-hmm. Rebecca. I, I mentioned at the beginning the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, and you've touched on those as well, having indicators for outcomes last week or the week before the IPCC handed down its you know latest climate report. In terms of outcomes, your career, the work that you're doing, and, and maybe just reflecting from a built environment perspective for, for a moment, what are you excited about sort of over the next sort of maybe th- three years? You know, the, the sort of foreseeable future. I know it's a little bit challenging at the moment. We're in odd time, challenging times with COVID, but from an optimistic perspective, what, what excites you? What are you looking forward to over the next little while in your work? So there's a couple of streams, and I think it's really important I talk about that diversity piece because gender equality is still one of the key drivers, one of the key sustainability goals, um, you know, across the world. And gender equality is very important to me personally. And what we've done with the Women in BIM initiative is we've created a, a portal for collaboration where we're starting to build in um, kind of global digital documentation for all of our members across the world to consolidate um, learning. So for me, it's about, you know, and again, probably, you know, one of the, the, the drivers for starting the business was being able to practically apply some of these different, I guess, initiatives um, to projects and to organisations and, and keeping it really simple. So for me, I feel really positive about the fact that not only now can I help that space in BIM and digital engineering and smart cities and all of the, you know, all of the stuff we've been speaking about today, but effectively within you know, my role at Oricon and being exposed to some of the large asset owners and driving our services you know, to those clients, really it's about you know, education and, um, and awareness. And that obviously then leads into opportunity. And for me, those opportunities are already beginning to present themselves in consulting in this space and helping clients understand strategically why it's important and you know, also, you know, helping to deliver projects. Even though I'm not on the delivery side anymore, you know, it's about acting as a role model both within industry and within Oricon internally, and and ensuring that we can, as a business, grow our skills, grow our capability and capacity, and then obviously also grow those opportunities, you know, to some of the clients that we're already working with and potentially new clients moving forward. Well, Rebecca, if you haven't been told recently how critical your work is with Women in BIM and, of course, beyond in your day job at Oricon, let me say that it is and reinforce that. And we're, we're, we're very lucky in, uh, in sort of our community to have champions like you. So thank you for joining us on the Chronicles today. It's been fantastic talking to you and looking forward to hopefully having you back maybe in another six months and a year so we can catch up to see what's changed. But for now, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much, Adam. I really appreciated the conversation. And for our listeners, our guest has been Rebecca DeChico, Principal of Digital Operations at our member company, Oricon. For our listeners, if you're not subscribing to the Chronicles, you should be doing that. You can go to any podcast platform. You'll find us there, the Smart Cities Chronicles. You can also head to our website, smartcitieschronicles.com 
www.thinkingfromthebeginningup.com. My name is Adam Beck, host of the podcast. Thanks for joining us on this episode. Stay safe and stay well. We look forward to bringing you another episode very soon. Thanks so much.